I don't ask passengers their names. We kiss them gently and help them in. We're that glad to have them, with or without names. You know how many you had? Six. Unless one of them fell out the window when we hit a bump. I picked up six, and I'm supposed to deliver six. Nobody fell out. Somebody must have jumped in. There are uh, seven here now. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And we concentrated really, really, really hard to come back for this episode. And I and I also bought like three scarves that I did not yeah. like, but I bought them. And uh, I found myself at Walmart and I tipped over <laughs> as many uh, <laughs> displays as I could. It happened. There you go. So perfect. Perfect. So, um, yeah. So uh, this episode, uh, we're going to get to it. It's season two. Episode 28, Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? Uh, air date May 26, 1961. Number one song, Mother in Law by Ernie Cato. Uh, and number one film, The Last Time I Saw Archie, which I had no idea what this film was, but I liked that the one, the one review, one critic review at the time wrote um, <laughs> in the New York Times The last time I saw Archie uh, suffers as a part of too many cook syndrome especially military chefs spoiling the broth it appears to be painfully true of the last time I saw Archie because some kind of military film. I like the idea that he said too many cooks, but the military chefs. So wit back then. So I don't think I'll ever watch the last time I saw Archie. It does not sound that appealing to me. Yeah. And now you said too many cooks. So I have that damn adult swim, uh, jingle stuck in my head. <laughs> have you ever seen that? I know of it. I don't think I've actually heard it. Thankfully, I maybe I avoided that. No, it's fantastic. It's this little short film they made. It's it's basically a uh, um, a TV show, like a sitcom opening, and it's called Too Many Cooks. And the intro just keeps going for like <laughs> 10 minutes, and it changes styles, and the show changes styles. But in the background, there's a serial killer that's getting closer and closer to them. It's amazing. Oh, I have to uh, watch that. That's I, yeah. That sounds like something right up Sorry, my alley. Not, I don't know. not related to that movie at all, but you said Too Many Cooks, and it's been stuck in my head the past couple of days. No, so. no, that's way better than probably the last time I saw Archie. Probably. Um, <laughs> so I, I, things on this date, the only thing I want to mention, just because it's, a, it's cool sounding, is that on uh, May 26th, the first flight of the Canada Air CF-104 Starfighter was made. So I like that Canada had Starfighters, um, and it's not not nearly as cool looking of, of a jet. It's a cool looking jet. It's not a Starfighter, though. It's not a Gunstar, like from the film The Last Starfighter, but I kind of hope it would be. What's, what's the name of it again? The CF-104 Starfighter. Yeah, see this thing. And instead of the death blossom, it does like a big maple leaf, or I don't know, I don't know what it would do. But uh, it reminds me of uh, the uh, the Thunderbirds Argo yeah. uh, plane. <laughs> I mean, it's cool looking, but it's like just the idea of calling it a starfighter. It's like this thing did not leave orbit, you know, like it didn't leave atmosphere and go fight on behalf of Canada, like other planets. <laughs> you know, that's, that's like all. we're not from Earth, we're from Canada. <laughs> Uh, well i mean not to get too much into it but i know canada's uh, resident superheroes alpha flight and marvel they do a lot of uh galactic defense now kind of like the canadian guards of the galaxy so maybe <laughs> they take nice. the starfighter up there yeah that's a really cool looking plane actually though it is I, cool looking but it's not a gun star that's, that's no it's, it's not a starfighter uh, it's a cool plane um yeah. So should we jump into cash and crew? That's then? yeah. That's all I got. Nothing else of, of import other than there was a cool sounding plane uh, that made its first flight that day. Yep. That's all that happened in the entire <laughs> planet all. that day. So hey. <laughs> uh, next up, we have uh, this episode was directed by Montgomery Pittman, who uh, interesting. He wrote 
three episodes of the Twilight that we're going to be covering next season of the Twilight. Did uh, you say of the Twilight? Oh, of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> sorry. Uh, and I think he directed them as well because he directed four other episodes. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. So I, I know I saw some of the same titles on the uh, his writer credits as the director's page, but thought that was interesting because uh, I don't know how many people wrote and directed their episodes throughout the series. Yeah, I mean, in terms of writing and directing their own, I don't know, but I know the only other person we've encountered that directed an episode is the lady from the 16 millimeter shrine, which which she has yet to have that episode show up. So that was one of yeah. the, the rare instances of having actor direct an episode. Yeah, but I I don't know. I'm we might run into it later, but this is the first time I've heard of a writer actually directing their episode for the Twilight Zone. So yeah. kind of interesting. Uh, but he also wrote one episode of Hawaiian Eye. Yes. So we're going to have a few uh, instances of <laughs> Hawaiian Eye this week. I'm pretty excited. Uh, one day, again, uh, if anyone is just joining us uh, on this episode, I'm still looking for that damn show. <laughs> if anyone can find any episodes, I would appreciate it because I'd like to watch them before I go to Hawaii this summer. And uh, so I can get myself in the mood. So. Please, if anyone's listening and they know where to find Hawaiian Eye, please let me know. It makes me feel like you're going to go there and go to like a record exchange in Hawaii and you're just going to find like 8,000 like, you know, VHS box sets of that show because everyone's like, oh, it's Hawaiian and like and no one wants it. Like you're going to find. Looks like, it looks like I can't bring any of my clothes back. I got to fill my suitcase with uh, the entire VHS collection of Hawaiian Eye. And the thing is, I would respect that because I know you would try your damnedest to be like, come on, I can make this, I can make this work. You know, I would. <laughs> Uh, this episode was written by Rod Serling um, with help of a few others. Uh, not not necessarily, but for the idea. Yeah. And uh, I'll mention that uh, William Tuttle does the effects on this episode because they do come into play quite predominantly at the end of this. Yeah. Which Tuttle, I think he did the, the, the nightmare masks from the previous episode of The Mind of the Matter. And he did uh, the pig people from... Uh, um, I have the beholder, right? Is that, that, that's yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I think he did the, um, he did a few other episodes as well. So, um, I think he did the mannequins as well. Okay. And, and I'm, I think if I'm not mistaken, but did he do the devil and, uh, the howling man? Was that also him too? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was a frequent contributor to the show. Um, but I want to mention it. And this week, half of the effects are better than last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Like I, yep. yeah. Um, so the cast, we have John Hoyt who plays Ross. Um, we talked about him on uh, cur- uh, a recent episode, lateness of the hour. He plays Dr. Lauren in that. So go back to that episode. If you want to hear us talk about John Hoyt, we have Jean Wills who plays Ethel McConnell. This was her only Twilight Zone appearance. She was also in one episode of The Hawaiian Eye again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original. Uh, Ocean's Eleven, the original. And she was actually in uh, 1954's Best Picture, From Here to Eternity. And an episode of Johnny Midnight. I was not going to let oh. that go. Yeah, I missed it. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. I had to bring in my one my one Johnny Midnight to your 7,000 Hawaiian Eyes that are going to show up in this episode. <laughs> So next up, we have the uh, very interesting Jack Elam, who plays Avery in this. Um, he was in a ton of Westerns, but probably most famously for uh, your recent conversations on Westerns. Um, Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. Um, that this was his only Ooh. Twilight Zone appearance. He was in Cannonball uh, Run 1 and 2. And then I got to bring up Suburban Commando, because this might be the only opportunity <laughs> on the show that we get to talk about a Hulk Hogan film. I, you know, I, you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I don't think there's going to be too many no holds barred uh, crossovers <laughs> here. And no, I mean, we'll um, see. I'm, uh, we'll keep our count. So this is one. <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> that's great. Um, so I actually found out while reading up about uh, Jack Elam because he has a very distinct look. Like he has. Yeah, he's got one eye that doesn't move. Yeah, um, and one eye that seems to move way too much. Uh, so he he grew up picking cotton and lost the sight in his left eye during a boyhood accident when he was stabbed with a pencil at a boy scout meeting. What happened at that boy scout meeting? Like, was it a fight? Was it trying to get a merit badge? Like what happened for that to occur? Like that is, um, yeah, at least they didn't have any helicopters at that boy scouts (laughs) meeting. (laughs) Yeah, that would, that would have been even worse, but, uh, but it's weird how that accident gave you a very, 
like he would have been still an interesting character actor, but you can't unsee Jack Elam every time you see him, you know, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. The guy, you know, the guy was employed all his life and definitely played a certain type. I guess earlier on, he was more of a villain and then he transitioned more into to comedy, which he carried. I mean, in this episode, he was the best. I think he was the best part of it. And he's a hoot in this. Um, but very, very distinct. Uh, he's one of those guys that everybody has seen him. They just may not know his name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a great reveal in this episode too, yes. which we'll get to. Um, next up, we have Barney Phillips returning to the show as Haley, the bartender. Uh, we talked about him in purple Testament and thing about machines, and he'll be in one other twilight zone episode coming up here. And I just got to say not to, not to spoil the episode too much, but did you see his IMDB photo? Cause, uh, it's um it kind of gives away the whole episode. I'm just going to say it right now like it is the least hidden secret uh, and like and that's his IMDb photo. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the thing uh we'll get to it when we talk about the episode, but it, he's such an iconic uh iconic. figure. <laughs> yeah, uh, no pun intended. Um he's such an iconic figure in the Twilight Zone series that even if you haven't seen this episode as soon as you see him pop up in this, you know exactly what's about to happen at the yeah. end, just because everyone knows that image. So kind of sucks, but um, yeah, I, li- I like him in this, so I was excited to see him return. Yeah. Next up, we have John Archer, who plays Trooper Bill Paget. This is his only Twilight Zone episode. He was in two episodes of Hawaii <laughs> and I. Uh, he was in Destination Moon and Blue Hawaii with Elvis. I don't know if you have anything else for him. Nope. I just saw the Hawaiian eye stuff and oh. stopped because I figured you would have found it. <laughs> I actually wrote down a quote from him. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny. He was born with the name Ralph Bowman and he won this RKO contest to become an actor. And when he filled out the form, he filled it out as John Archer. So that's what he ended up going as. So he, there's a quote from him saying he went from being a Bowman to an Archer. <laughs> nice. That's a <laughs> yeah, really good I thought quote. that was really fun. But John Archer, what a, what an awesome, memorable Hollywood name! It is. Like I, I wish he would have uh, had bigger roles, because I, I don't know how you could forget that name. I actually thought we've talked about him before, just because I, I was yeah. like, man, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, it, but it, no, it this like, is his only appearance. It sounds like every like you know actor in the fifties and sixties. That's a very strong leading man, man name. Yeah, he's just gonna punch all the aliens. You know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, next up, we have uh, William. Oh man, I can't even read my uh, handwriting. Ken- Kendis? Yeah. Yeah. Who uh he plays Hansen in the fever, which I believe we talked about him in that episode. Yeah, because I think I mean he was I th- I think he was part of the casino crew, like the the people working there, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. But real quick, yeah, like he's all he's like my second favorite thing in this episode. And he uh was also in Hawaiian Eye, so I'm sure we mentioned that then, but I'll mention it again. Yep. Um, so we got Morgan Jones as trooper Dan Perry, who is in forbidden planet, one other twilight zone. And I'm not sure if I brought the movie up before on, on the show, but he was in the giant claw, which if you haven't seen that, it's a terrible, but amazing B movie with a giant bird attacking Manhattan. And it kind of looks like a Turkey. So there was a few years I watched it every Thanksgiving. I, I, I have to see this. <laughs> yeah, look up some stills from that movie. It's it's unbelievable. It's so funny looking. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna look but yeah, it, it's a right perfect thing. Because there's not too many Thanksgiving horror movies. You know, there's that terrible Thanksgiving. Um, oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah, it's, it's right up your alley. I think you'd love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that's amazing. Oh, what was there? Someone made a poster of Godzilla versus the giant claw. I don't think that actually happened, but that's pretty, oh, that seems no, about that, right. That though. never happened, unfortunately. Yeah. This bird, it looks like, you know, those, those really creepy looking marionette birds that people will like use with two hands yeah. where they kind of walk, they walk around with like the, the yeah, paper they always cup sell feet. them at like amusement parks. Yeah, and stuff. that's what this thing looks like, except it was big enough to eat people. <laughs> Wow. I wish that this I wish that this is what they saw out the window on the Odyssey of Flight 33. I wish it was this thing as opposed to the dinosaur. That would have been think about that how messed up that would have been. That would have been more reason for them to get out of there. You know, they've been like I don't think we're in New York. It's like we we are, but the giant claw took it. I like yeah, this. What time period are we in? <laughs> when did these exist? Oh man. <laughs> The thing yeah, is, great movie. This is probably closer to what dinosaurs actually look like now that we understand them being like larger <laughs> birds. 
Like, I, I mean, yeah. maybe not exactly. Who would have thought that the giant claw <laughs> was historically accurate? <laughs> Based on true events, that's what they need to tell people. Oh, that's if they amazing. ever put that out on uh, Blu-ray, they got to put your quote on there. Based on true events. Perfect. Oh, sorry. Anyway, enough about, yeah. enough about the giant claw. Anyway, anyway, let's get on to uh, Gertrude Flynn, who plays Rose Kramer in this. This was her only Twilight Zone episode. She was in one episode of Hawaiian Eye um, and one episode of the 1980s uh, Twilight Zone series. I didn't I didn't pick up the Hawaiian Eye on that one. So good, good on you. I didn't I did notice the 80s Twilight Zone. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and then next up, we have Bill Irwin, who plays her husband, Peter Kramer. Uh, he had an interesting career. It seems like he always plays like the nice elderly man or like grandpa. Um, probably most famously from my childhood, he was in the original Land Before Time um, as the grandpa's voice. Yeah. I don't know if you picked up on that, but that's like that's where I would recognize him from. But he was in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Home Alone, Somewhere in Time, Seinfeld, My Name is Earl, like yeah. so many episodes. And I think we may have talked about him because he was he had small roles in Mr. Denton on Doomsday and Walking Distance. So you, if we didn't mention it then, um, because we were just in awe of Mr. Denton on Doomsday, look up Bill Irwin's Wikipedia page. The photo they have for him just doesn't make any sense. Like from being an, a very iconic character actor, this is the photo they put up of him. Yeah, that's. I mean, it looks like his last headshot. No, on w- Wikipedia, Wikipedia, not not IMDb. Oh, Wikipedia. No, oh, okay, no, sorry. This this is definitely IMDb. not his not his last headshot. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh oh. Erwin Wikipedia. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so recognizable. <laughs> he looks like such a nice grandpa character. Yeah. They just have a photo of him that says Irwin, like a circa 1918. It's this little tiny kid in like a sailor outfit and it's black and white. It's, it's, it's probably him. I don't know, but it's like, yeah, it all could right. be anyone. It could, it's, I just know. don't understand. Like Wikipedia is, you could, I, I think there's pranks on here all the time and I'm sure that this isn't, but it feels like it, you know, cause you're right. He's a very recognizable character actor. Yeah, well, speaking of weird things, uh, on his IMDb trivia, so on the <laughs> one of them was appeared with celebrities such as Rosalind Russell, Lee Marvin, Phil Silvers, and Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the other pieces of trivia was was an avid county fair frequenter. <laughs> You know, think about that though. Like, if you you could put that up as a bit of trivia, and who who could who could call you out on that though? Unless there's specifically a time where it's like, hey, Bill, did you want to go to a county fair? And he's like, I hate those things. I think they're the. I think it's just a bunch of just uh hobos and and you know vagrants, like something like that. And be like, okay, Bill, calm down. I don't think you can really just a bunch of Jackie Lums running around. Um, so I just, I like how this man was in so many amazing films. He's got 237 credits to his name. And yet the only trivia they could come up with was that he was once in a movie with the Olsen twins and that he went to County fairs. (laughs) It just seems so insulting. Uh, My hope is that like one of his kids, uh, put that up there. It was or like something. a nice. Thing. It was like a nice memory of him or something. Yeah. Like maybe that was something they always did with him. That's that's my hope. <laughs> wow, that's but, funny. Uh, it just it made me laugh. I figured you'd appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, uh, not too much to talk about here. We have Jill Ellis as Connie Prince. This was her only acting role. Yeah. And we have Ron Kipling as George Prince, and this was one of his three acting roles. Yeah, which I was kind of surprised because he had a he had a good look to him. I assumed he would have been in a bunch of like beach movies right. from this era. Yeah, um, but no. I, he was I, not. <laughs> I like that the young, attractive people didn't go on to do anything, but Jack Elam did every movie ever. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> and we had Bill Irwin, you know, Babyface Burrow and doing all that stuff too, you know, like I, that's yeah, funny. Just hitting up those county fairs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> those elephant ears aren't going to eat themselves, you know. So, all right. <laughs> anyway, that was that was a wonderful journey through the cast. I was not expecting half of that. I, I That was wonderful. And I learned again about the giant claw. So that's there you go. We bring you guys some value here. You guys should appreciate that. Um, yeah, <laughs> other movies that aren't Twilight. <laughs> 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 All 
All right. So yeah, let's just uh, let's just get to Serling introducing this um, this tangled mystery of an episode. Sounds good. Wintry February night, the present. Order of events: a phone call from a frightened woman, notating the arrival of an unidentified flying object. Then the checkout you just witnessed, with two state troopers verifying the event, but with nothing more enlightening to add beyond evidence of some tracks leading across the highway to a diner. You've heard of trying to find a needle in a haystack? Well, stay with us now, and you'll be part of an investigating team whose mission is not to find that proverbial needle. No, their task is even harder. They've got to find a Martian in a diner. And in just a moment, you'll search with them because you've just landed in the Twilight Zone. All right. Yeah, okay, I'll let you start this off because this one, um, it it's a promising start to an episode. Yes. And first of all, First, I'm going to say, I think it's way easier to find a Martian in a diner than a needle in a haystack. But that's just me. Uh, yes. Yeah. So we open. We're on this snowy mountainside. We're out in the country. And uh, there's a big crashing sound and a uh, light in the sky and everything. And we catch up with these two, these two troopers who are uh, looking into this whatever happened. I guess some trees got cut in half and stuff as whatever crash crashed. Um, you don't really get to see any of that stuff, but they talk about it. Um, so he calls into the station looking for more info and, um, they, they end up finding footprints in the amazing fake snow. There's (laughs) this might be some of the worst fake snow I've ever seen, but I kind of love it. I was just like, I liked that the soundstage and it kind of, I don't, it worked for me. It was nice. Yeah. It was a nice change of pace to have an exterior. I don't, it just, it, it looked different than episodes we've seen recently. So it was, it was nice. Yeah. It, it looked more, uh, cinematic. Yes. I think like as soon as it opened up, I was like, Oh, here we go. This one, this one's going to look good. But unfortunately they get away from the great imagery very quickly in this um so they find some footprints in the snow and they think that might be heading towards the highway cafe so as they're walking away we get the great rod serling intro and i love that he's hiding behind a rock in this scene <laughs> like i thought he was sitting at first which made me chuckle when it came out <laughs> like i thought he was sitting just on the ground as they were walking by just hiding under a small rock, but he's just kind of cut off on screen. I liked, I liked the camera movement of them walking into the background and then stopping with him walking forward to introduce the episode. It's, it's probably one of my more favorite Sterling intro, like the introductions in terms of him showing up on screen. That was a nice kind of like way of weaving him into the story. And I liked also that the snow stopped falling roughly around the time he started introducing the episode. So it's kind of yeah. a nice, like, you know, I'm telling the story, everything stops and waits for me, but I'm also still dressed appropriately in fake snow, like with this nice <laughs> winter coat that he, we last saw in his, uh, the Christmas episode. Yeah. How did he get behind that rock without making footsteps? Uh? I don't know. Like, I just, I think that, I think just, I think Sterling just waits. Twilight you know? Zone. <laughs> he was there when the blizzard started. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. Yeah, then we we meet up at the Highway Cafe. You see there's a big bus parked outside of it. And um, you find out that the bridge is closed. They introduce all the characters inside that were on this bus. And you get a nice shot of each couple, each individual who were on the bus and everything. And everyone's stuck there because the bridge that they have to pass on the way to, I think they were heading towards Boston, Mm -hmm. was closed. And then behind them, there's a big landslide or something like that so they couldn't go backwards so they were stuck um the one man who is uh what was his character's name ross in this episode played by john hoyt he's some businessman he's really upset that he can't leave and everyone's kind of distraught but he seems to get the most angry yeah, I mean, like basically, he's like snapping at the bus driver, and the bus driver's like, "What do you want me to do?" It's like it's above my pay grade. I can't, you know, yeah, the, the, yeah. the bridge. He's like, I like how he he has this intimate knowledge of this bridge where he's like, "I don't trust it." It's like, like how, like, do you understand like bridge technology? I, I mean, I guess if you drive a bus, but he he has a vendetta against this bridge. It seems because he knows way too much about it. Yeah, it's like sorcerer. They're gonna have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they're trying to figure out. Uh, who in the place because at this point they're trying to figure out who everyone is and 
the troopers ask the bus driver if he has a passenger manifest and he's like no i don't have a manifest like our company doesn't do that we're we're broke like so he, the driver says there are six people that got on the bus and the state troopers realize that there are seven people in here so one of them isn't who they, they say they are which sets up a great premise or and, I mean, or it could just be that the bus driver just doesn't care about too much about his job, and he miscounted. Like they bring this, they bring this this notion up, and it's like that almost seems like that would be the end of the episode. Like you know what, you're right. I probably counted wrong, but everyone's yeah. adamant. <laughs> everyone's adamant that there was six. And let me, I mean, have you ever driven any great distances on a bus, like an actual, like not school bus, but like like Greyhound or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Do you, did you pay attention to the people mostly on the bus other than the three people around you that you did not want to sit beside you while you're on a bus? No, not at all. Yeah. So I try not to make eye contact with anyone. Yeah. So I, <laughs> that's my, I know I'm, I'm jumping a little, little ahead and I don't want to get there, but it's like, I just don't understand the whole like, well, I just think you're wrong. It's like, well, I can barely tell if I was on the bus, if I was riding on it, you know, like, I, I guess my argument though, cause usually there's more people on those kinds of buses. Um, yeah. I think if there were six people on the bus, I would remember all six. It's it's not <laughs> like there are 20 people and you got to remember them all. But like if there were only six people sitting around me, I could probably pick their faces out. Are you, are you, are you doing like an ocular pat down like Mac on it's always sunny just to make sure <laughs> of any threat assessment? Is that what's going on? Yes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's six people. Isn't that unbelievable that you would you wouldn't recognize everyone on the bus? Well, that, that, that's fair. I just think that, you know, buses have large seats. It's dark. It's wintry. You know, you probably, I don't know, like I, I could easily be convinced that I didn't see everybody on a bus, even if there was that few people, you know, that that's just me as a passenger. I'd probably be like, you know what? There might even be eight people. I don't know. There might be someone on the bus right now. We don't know about. But, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, the cops are just like, oh, well, you know, that's why they like, they kind of badger the guy. And I, I like that they kind of give up the ghost pretty early about what they're worried about. Yeah. Yeah. So immediately they're talking about the flying saucer and if anyone heard anything. And that, this is when we get the introduction introduction to Avery, Jack Elam's character, <laughs> which is in- incredible. Yeah. He just turns around like his, his back was to the camera the entire time. And he turns around and he starts just like he he enjoys the situation. He's just making fun of everything. And I kind of like it. Yeah, it's great. And I, I love that he uh, he even makes a Ray Bradbury reference in this episode, yeah. which is uh, you know, <laughs> which is fun. There's nothing really in this episode that was as I was trying to find if uh, Bradbury had any stories that were similar to this or anything. But there's really no references other than him just bringing up his name. But at, at this time, I guess he would have been the one to bring up when he want to invoke that science fiction feel. Yeah, because I mean, I'm so. sure if they said that's a real Charles Beaumont, people would be like, "Who?" You know, or yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, it's still to this day, that people that, say, "Oh, that's fair." Yeah, but the yeah. fact that he says it's he goes, "All oh, she's a real science fiction, a real Ray Bradbury." I just something about everything he was saying. Just even watching the second time, I I enjoyed like his his delivery. He just his his character knew. Like he, he's basically, it was being absurd and it's, and at that time, clearly the audience is supposed to infer that something's not right with him, you know, and because the way he looks, the way he carries himself and the way he's calling out everything. Yeah. He's the total red herring. So, you know, yeah. immediately like he's not going to be the Martian <laughs> being too obvious on it. But, um, I, I like, I like his character. Um, and that reveal of him turning around is incredible. <laughs> like I'll never get that image out of my head. Um, yeah, so they start trying to figure out ways that they can figure out who isn't or who is the Martian in the room. So they figure that the couples can be eliminated because they would know each other. Um, but then that immediately falls apart because the younger couple, the princes, um, she asks him like she kind of remembers a mole on his chin, but it's not there anymore. <laughs> yeah. So that's the catalyst that starts all of the couples to start not trusting each other immediately. Yeah. Which is kind of unbelievable because the one couple said they had been together like 23 years or something. <laughs> it's I, just like, I just like the look that the just, older lady gave her husband like every so often. Yeah. That, that, like that was a good, it was a, like for an episode full of like, it just, it kind of burns through everything. There was some nice small moments of just like uh facial reactions to things and hers was good. And yeah, I, yeah, I but it comes that. out of nowhere though. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's just like 23 years and then like one ridiculous story. You're like, I don't know if I trust you. <laughs> like, There's some deeper issues going on in that relationship. But um, yeah, so somebody suggests like maybe lock the back door and Barney Phillips is like, well, that's not going to do any good because if it's an alien, it can just bust right through the wall. <laughs> and uh, Avery gives the line about uh, um, just check everybody for wings. Maybe they flew down here. Yeah, it's great. And he's like, yeah. he said, he says, look under their coats is what he says, yeah. um, which, you know, I, I will give this episode credit. I didn't think there was much foreshadowing at all in this, but there's a couple bits here and there, but it's nothing too strong. But basically, I, yeah, I like that uh, Avery is like kind of harassing everybody. And and I think someone calls him a lemon sucker or he, someone gets called a lemon sucker. Yeah, which, he calls uh, Ross the yes. businessman. <laughs> he calls him a lemon sucker. He's like, check under his coat over there. <laughs> That's great. So the troopers ask him the way they decide that Avery isn't an alien. They ask him uh, who won the World Series the previous season, uh, which I think is funny. It's like that little trivial uh, bit is how you decide that somebody isn't an alien. Yeah. I mean, if the test to determine who an alien is or not is based on sports trivia, then I think we're all aliens. Like, I think a lot of us would be, you know. Yeah, I would be like, well, (laughs) see you guys later. (laughs) Guess I'm going to go walk towards that bridge now. Later. Yeah. Yeah. so, and then they start asking for Everett's ideas and ever uh, Everett IDs, excuse me, and uh, nobody really has them. Yeah, and, um, like the the one lady, like she left in her her uh, purse or something, and the purse isn't here. And like everyone has a convenient reason to why they can't a hundred percent speak to who they are. And yeah, but she gets ruled out. I thought was uh, funny because she was a professional dancer, quote unquote, and the driver said. Uh, he could vouch for her because she was the only one that he noticed. <laughs> right. Like his casual sexism saves the day. Like how, yeah. I, and she kind of smiles a little bit. She's like, well, thank you. It's just like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was expecting an eye roll or something, but she's legitimately charmed by yeah. his, this bus driver's creepy advances. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, and then at that moment, the jukebox starts turning on by itself. And then it kind of fades out. The record slows down and everything, which I, I like that effect. Um, the lights flicker and everyone's terrified and we hit the commercial break at that point. Yeah. Um, but like the whole thing about like the lights turning on and off, it's like they even kind of say, hey, maybe the power's going out. It's like that one wouldn't bother me as evidence of a higher power because it's like it is a snowy cafe in the middle of nowhere. You know, like the, the jukebox would yeah, be weird. In right? the middle of a storm. Yeah. Like, the wind's probably blowing like that power is going out all the time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we get but, back. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, we come back and, uh, everyone's kind of just talking amongst themselves and, um, uh, Barney Phillips character is talking about the jukebox and he's like, yeah, I don't think it's anything. I think you need to just talk to an electrician. And, um, we get another great Avery moment of him going over and saluting the, uh, <laughs> the jukebox and take me to your leader. Um, but at that point, again, the lights go out. Uh, the jukebox goes on again. It fades out and uh, everyone's arguing. The lights flicker again. Uh, the salt shakers explode, which was a pretty cool effect. I'm not quite sure how they did that. Um, and then the phone ends up ringing. So the state troopers answer it and they find out that the bridge is okay to pass. So at that point, everyone goes, they pays their check and they pay their check and everything. And they count them all getting back on the bus. And again, they count seven getting onto the bus. So they figure like, well, maybe it was a miscount by the uh, bus driver and everything. I like that. Um, uh, the counterman, what's his name? Uh, Haley. I keep wanting to call him Barney because it's his real name. Um, I like how the name Haley is a dead giveaway too on, something later in this episode okay. yeah um so it, it just when he, he says okay everybody like you know, square up with me and he's like hope to see y'all again all but one of you and i know why he <laughs> says that but it sounds kind of racist it's like wait who like who does he not like you know but uh but then <laughs> one person he checks out did you hear them say he's like oh you had 14 cups of coffee that'll be a dollar 40 14 cups of coffee <laughs> That's going to be a terrible bus ride. <laughs> I mean, if it's one of the couples, then maybe seven apiece, but that's still a lot of cups of coffee. Like, who a drank? Of coffee. I think Jack Elam drank the 14 cups of coffee. I think that's really what happened. <laughs> I don't believe that Jack Elam's character could pay for 14 cups of coffee. <laughs> well, it was a buck 40, so he probably had not that. So yeah. he had enough to get on the bus, I guess. I don't know. That's but, uh, true. Yeah. That's true. 
So, <laughs> I guess I'm judging him by his appearance. <laughs> but yeah, so the bus leaves and uh, we cut to the next scene and a man approaches the diner and he's wearing a black hat and a black coat and he looks in the window and goes in. We can't see his face this whole time. He comes up to the counter and orders a coffee black and um, they reveal that it's Ross. He's returned to the diner and uh, he tells um, Haley, the bartender, he tells him that it was a terrible scene and the bridge collapsed. Nobody survived and that he was the only survivor. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I like the revelation here too about uh, um, Haley. It's like you're not even wet. Like, how did that happen? Like, you you couldn't have been in the water. And he's like, "What? What is that?" So yeah. immediately you find you're realizing that uh, Ross is the Martian. Well, yeah, I mean that. And then um, he goes to light a cigarette, and explains everything of what's going on about this oncoming invasion. And then the third arm comes up as he's laying like, that's, that's all, well, that, that was all very slick. And I dug that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one moment of like real darkness in this episode when he's like, Oh, what? It's just an illusion. Just like the jukebox. Yeah. Just like the telephone. They were all illusions. So basically this guy, made this fake phone call that the bridge was okay to kill all these people because they were about to find him out. Like that's a real dark moment in this episode. You know, I didn't put that together. That is messed up. You're right. I'll give you yeah, that. Cause he, he mentions the telephone as being an illusion. So like he set up the whole bridge thing, which is real messed up. Yeah. Then, then now that you say that, that makes perfect sense. I just didn't, for some reason I didn't think of that. And that was, you know, so yeah, kudos, right? So you're right. That's way darker. Even though like the, the nonchalant, like they're all dead. Like the way he says that he's a like, cup of coffee. Like it was very, like he just, he didn't care because he wouldn't care, you know? And I, I, I appreciated his uh, matter of factness, just asking for a cup of coffee after saying everybody died. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, during that whole thing, he's pulling cigarettes out of his pocket and he re- reveals that he has three arms, yeah. which is real goofy looking because it's basically just somebody behind him <laughs> wearing the same coat sleeve as he's wearing, just sticking the arm through. Uh, but it, it works. It's it's whatever. It's simple. It's it it's effective, I guess. Um, he talks about the great taste of cigarettes. Um, they, they taste wonderful is what he said. Yeah. Um, what were the ones they've been advertising on the show? Oasis. Uh, we will get to that. I promise. Yeah. Was, was he smoking Oasis? Yes, he was. And oh, okay. not, nice. to, not to tip my three hands here too early. However, I'll just go ahead and say it. So because of Oasis being, um, a sponsor of the show, five characters are shown smoking on screen. Uh, and Ross is smoking away cigarettes. And at the end, when he says these taste wonderful or they taste wonderful, that was the actual slogan of Oasis at the time. Uh, nice. So that is very much project integration. I ended up going down this rabbit hole, reading about all the the commitments that um, Oasis was asking for Serling to produce for this. And then which we, I've read those in some of the little previews for the episodes. He would purposely pause between his introduction or the tease of the episode and then the little live read about Oasis. So that way they could cut it later for syndication or if there's another sponsor coming. But they asked him to do like commercials separate from the Twilight Zone. And he kind of balked at it because he said, um, you know, these other TV you know, characters, like you got Lucy and, and he, well, he didn't say this by name, but you got Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. They're playing Lucy and, and, you know, Ricky. They could step away and become Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz and sell a stove. He's like, I'm Rod Serling. Basically, he was like, I can't separate myself from myself to sell your product. And he, he had some real, he did do it because it was a contract thing, but he had some real reservations about it. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was kind of half joking that it was Oasis, but nope, it was. That, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So there you go. There's your uh, cigarette knowledge of the day. The, the, the softest taste, uh, Oasis yeah. cigarettes. So you find out that uh, he's from Mars. And uh, uh, shout out to our buddy Mars. I When I was taking my notes, I accidentally rose, wrote uh, Mars with a Z. So. <laughs> Uh, but you find out he was that heading Mars to Boston. Be, that all makes sense. Yeah, yeah they were <laughs> heading to Boston. Look at that. Uh, that's fun. Um, yeah. So you find out that Mars is colonizing, and um, then Mister Mister Haley, the bartender there, uh, reveals that his name isn't actually Haley, and he takes off his hat, and he reveals that he has a third eye on his forehead, 
and he says he's from Venus and that they are also looking to do the same thing and mm-hmm. kind of challenges uh, Ross's character, yeah. which I liked. And he laughs and that brings us to the end of the episode. Yeah, I just I find it I like I like the idea that um, with Earth like we're we're all about twos and then like Mars and Venus have to have threes of things like I don't understand it's like somewhere along the way whatever this like amazing uh, you know genome split where it's like three arms to Mars three eyes to Venus Earth gets two of things like I, I just find it I just thought that was kind of weird how it all kind of balanced out um, and but that was kind of an accident. Because um, uh, the, the bartender, I keep wanting to say Barney, Haley, was supposed to have four eyes. They couldn't make it work. So hmm. they just did the, the third one. So That would have um, looked pretty cool with four eyes. I, th- I like, think that would have been interesting, yeah. Yeah. I, I like the three eye, though. It's, it's a really cool, uh, like I said, it's an image that even if you haven't seen the Twilight Zone, you've probably seen the picture of him with the third eye. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I found, uh, I think it's uh, Trick or Treat Studios, if I'm not mistaken, um, that sells all the like really, uh, really nice like Halloween masks and everything for movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually sell the eye that you can buy, oh, like a prosthetic. Okay. Interesting. But, that, that's uh, yeah. I'm gonna double check, make sure it's them, just because. Uh, yeah. I was just looking at it a few weeks ago. And I was like, that'd be a good Halloween costume. I'll just be someone's third arm and then hand them cigarettes underneath a coat. That's what I'll do. I'll just sneak, I'll just sneak <laughs> cigarettes up from a counter. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was an interesting ending where like, it's like a, like, you know, it's a twist on a twist, I guess. And we'll talk, we'll get to our twist feelings about here in a minute, but um, it, it's, you know, I think because of that iconic image of Haley and because I already knew how it was going to end, I, I'll be honest. I forgot about Ross but I knew the counterman was going to raise his cap and show that third eye. So yeah. Yeah, there was, I don't know. Like I, I already kind of knew where we we're going with it. So I, it was, it was hard to watch it with fresh eyes, so to speak. Yeah. And just having the name Haley out of any of them, cause you don't really catch anyone else's names in this episode. Like mm-hmm. I think the same real quick in passing. Um, but they make, they make a point about the Haley thing. And uh, obviously Haley's comment and everything kind of yeah. makes a correlation in your brain. And having known that visual, like there's there's no way you can forget that he's going to be a Martian. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the first twist, like I, I didn't see Ross coming. Um, I knew it was too obvious for Avery to be it. But they, it, uh, we kind of talked off air about this episode before we started. Uh, how Rod presents this as a mystery yeah. And it's 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 kind of not like it's, it's very not. straightforward. He doesn't really he gives you hints at everyone that they could be, but nobody really has a tell. No, they don't. The only thing you see is that uh, Ross keeps his coat on the entire time, but everybody kind of keeps their coat on. So it isn't like yeah, it's cold. Yeah, They're in yeah. the middle of nowhere. It's a blizzard. Yeah. Like everyone's got coats. Yeah. So I don't know. And it just it, it, it serves it serves OK for what it is. Um, And it was fine. It's not there's nothing particularly wrong with this episode it's just there i don't feel that it really it never really built up anything like the like the whole idea of like there there's supposed to be x number but there's one more that's that's always interesting like or you know there's the the one that you can't trust the very fact that this is a ufo that crashes into icy waters and wanders away or whatever's in it wanders away and looks like a human that's immediately in my wheelhouse because i love the thing right and it's like so like the whole that whole you know that whole thing you know no no uh pun intended i guess but i'm i'm all about that i just there but there was no setup and no no double cross no big you know I don't know. There was just no big, no good. Like this, like, like the monsters are doing the maple on Maple street. Whenever everybody started turning on each other because of the fear that one of them could be, I never got that vibe in this episode. Yeah. And it seems like he was going for that sort of thing, but it never reached the level levels of paranoia that like, uh, you mentioned the thing goes to, which how can you not make the comparison? Um, it it just, uh, people turn on each other, but not, believably and not realistically. Yeah. And it's just, it's so. more, it's more tongue in cheek. And I think having Jackie Loom there 
clearly he's just chewed up the scenery. So I think if he hadn't been there, this thing would have been a slog. So it was just fun to have him. It was fun to have him salute the jukebox. But then whenever the, the state trooper walks back in, he kind of turns around and catches himself like being disrespectful. And he just kind of catches himself and then lowers his hand because he's still worried about authority. I don't know. It was very, it was some nice moments there. And there's some interesting images in here. And, so, and, and now that you pointed out the whole telephone thing, there is some darkness here. I didn't think about, but I don't know. Like it just, this isn't, this isn't an iconic twilight zone episode. It's an iconic twilight zone idea. I think is probably because, because the counterman with his third eye that sticks out so much in people's mind of what the show is, but I don't think this episode is the best example of it. Yeah. And it's the reason we do the twist rating is because of episodes like this, where it's like the twist is more iconic than the actual story. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate because it's a great idea. And, um, I, I, I found a website that kind of tracked where this idea came from and I hadn't read either of these stories, but have you ever read Agatha Christie's and then there were none? I, I know of it again. It's one of those. Yeah. Names, like yeah. I know of it, but I've never read it. Um, Hey, you haven't read it though. I have not. No, no. Yeah. That. And then, uh, John W. Campbell's who goes there, yeah. which is the short story that got turned into a thing from another world, which, in turn got turned into John Carpenter's the thing, which I might have to check that out now. Cause uh, that seems like something that I probably should have read by this point in my life. <laughs> um, so I mean like it's, it's a great idea and uh, you can see Serling trying to take his twist on it and trying to insert the comedy that he cannot resist. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Um, fortunately the comedy in this one, thanks to Jack Elam plays a lot better than mm-hmm. previous episodes. And, uh, specifically last episode. <laughs> I kind of want Jack Elam in the Archibald role from the last episode. I want him with the ability to will a world full of Jack Elam's. Like how great would that have been? Like, uh, just Jack Elam <laughs> in a dress and a wig. That'd be amazing. Oh, that'd I be hard to that. sell him as like a reasonable office employee though. That's not in one of his uh, character roles that he, <laughs> he was doing during his career. That's yeah, fine. I know. I know. It's that, that's my mind. I would love that. So, um, so uh, interesting thing about this, this episode in particular, this was originally called uh, the night of the big rain. And it was a two paragraph pitch that Sterling used when trying to convince uh, the head of programming for CBS, what he was going for with the twilight zone. So this is one of the earlier ideas he had uh, kind of fleshed out before the series actually went like into production. Um, so at the time though, the pitch had an alien in the diner being a dog. So, and when everybody would leave the diner, the dog would exit the diner and like a strange light would go onto the dog, basically, you know, calling more of its kind down to earth. So, hmm. you know, which I think that's interesting because the internet and because of dogs, I think that's actually what has happened. Um, so, yeah, well, um, no, I just, uh, with the, uh, with the thing correlation, oh, yeah, it's interesting yeah. that the original, uh, outline had the dog in it. Yeah. So right. that was supposed to be that. And then, um, uh, and then it changed to a different title, which I, I, I wrote down. Like, I think it was something I, I didn't write down. It was something like, uh, nothing, uh, nothing but us Martians here or something. It was a dumb name. So I didn't write it down, but it eventually changed to will the real Martian please stand up, which was a direct reference to the TV show at the time that was really popular called to tell the truth. Whenever the host would have three people on that were trying to convince the panel that all three of them were the same person and they had to discern yeah. which one was the real person. And they'd say, well, the real so-and-so please stand up. That so yeah. that's kind of interesting. He is kind of playing off of a popular the game show at the time. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, um, um, but yeah, yeah I, I don't really have too much more for this episode. Like it's it's pretty straightforward. There's no real twists or turns during it. Like, well, I shouldn't say there's no twist because there's two twists, but yeah. there's no real turns. It just kind of takes you to the twist. Yeah, and it's not really shocking. It's not really like. <laughs> And it, it's hard to say that because, like you said, it, you see Barney Phillips on IMDb and you see the reveal of the second twist. So I feel like if I would have gone into this actually blind, that maybe that second twist in this episode would have played a little bit better. Yeah. But it's hard to tell because it just it kind of played and I was like, meh, OK. <laughs> like, yeah. As each person revealed themselves, it was like, all right. To, yeah, to, fine. to be honest, and I'm going to get punched later when this is listened to by someone that I'm married to, the, the, the piling of the twists on top of it feels very much like Are You Afraid of the Dark, which I've been watching a lot of right recently. <laughs> so, you know, I love that after we covered that episode that you were uh, 
not too pleased with that you've uh, <laughs> gone through most of the series now. <laughs> almost done with season two, and by the way, it doesn't get any better. Um, uh, you know. It's taken us two years to go through uh, Twilight I Zone, blowing through two seasons of Are You Afraid of the Dark? To, in, to like, be fair, weeks. we're not doing a podcast on it, and also there's only like 13 episodes a season, so it's not that bad. To, right, to tear fair enough. Yeah. No, I'm just I'm yeah. just messing with you, but uh, like. Yeah, um, yeah. I just, I just think it's funny. You probably watch more Are You Afraid of the Dark than I <laughs> did when I was younger. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I've watched more of it than when it was actually on. So, but hey, we <laughs> we spent big money on this set. I'm going to finish it. That's the goal, right? One hell or high water, you know. Like that's. But anyway, so yeah, like the whole like twist on twist on twist. I, it, you know, in some ways, I could think it would work. And this one, I'm sure, this is not this isn't something we've seen from the twilight zone so far in the sense of like, you know, the reveal and then another reveal. Like we don't normally get that, that one, two punch to end the episode. We usually get like, you know, yeah. Sometimes we get that like mid episode reveal. Yeah. That ends up taking the episode in a different direction. Then you get the final, uh, reveal at the end. But like, yeah, I don't think we've seen anything just from, thinking back on the past two seasons i don't think we've seen anything that was so um like you said a one-two punch yeah the only thing i could think of that just remotely is just uh the man in the bottle whenever you know everything gets on like gets re-undone because you know surprise hitler and he wishes it away and then they (laughs) think everything's all fine and they turn around then they crack the glass of the display case so it's kind of like that whole like now we're all the way back to zero like that's the only thing but that's not the same type of thing but it, it definitely like added a little bit on top of the ending yeah but that's yeah. oh man that was a nice episode I like yeah. that one. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so um just before i forget just to mention just for just because i have written down here so the jukebox we've seen it before it was the one in 100 yards over the rim so it's traveled and thank goodness it didn't get attacked by uh by uncle Ben with his uh, musket. Cause it, it made you know an appearance here. And then some of the signs as well in the diner are also from the, the diner and a hundred yards over the rim. So there you go. There's, there's some other uh, guest stars. You didn't, you may not realize that you've seen before. And yeah. Then- I was thinking of uh, the prime mover too. I thought that maybe the front was uh, the same storefront. From yeah. That I thought episode. so too. And then oh, the other thing too, did you notice the name of the bus, uh, the bus line? No, I did not. Uh, it's Kyaga, which is the name of the production company for the show. Oh, you know, nice. Yeah, so I thought that was that was a nice little end joke that they put that on the bus. That's cool. But, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I couldn't find if it was the same set or same building as Prime Mover with a different name on it, but um, it may have been. Who knows? Probably was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, but yeah, that's that's yeah. Um, let's just let's just talk. We've been talking about the twist. Let's just go ahead and rate it. I'm going to give a three just because of Ross, because I forgot about him um, because I forgot that there was an alien before the alien. And so credit to the episode. I didn't see that part coming, but I knew that um, Haley was an alien the entire time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll go with you on the three. I, I want to rate it higher just because of kind of the darkness that Ross brings with it. Like I said, like that telephone, thing really got under my skin when he said it because i was like wow you just killed seven other people including a driver you know um that's fair but i just did not even it did not even occur to me the twice i thought two times like i i want to go higher but it it really didn't affect me that strongly as i was watching it you know like going back and thinking about it um it hit me a little bit harder but when these reveals happen they just happen so matter of factly that it's not really shocking it's not really exciting or anything and like you said having barney phillips character ruined uh just by his character being so iconic for the twilight zone um it just it didn't really affect me at all so i'm gonna give it a three um but it, it might be higher up like if if that wasn't ruined for you i could totally see this being a four star twist yeah. for this episode just, if Haley would have reacted like a little bit more in the sense silly human when ross tells him what happened you know like to le- even though the you know the venusians are there to take over like you know I, if there had been some kind of like oh my goodness like you you just let them all 
you know, die. Like, you know, what kind of like, like basically like, what, you know, like you Martians are all just, you know, emotionless jerks that are addicted to cigarettes or something, you know, like, like it would have been great for Haley to call him out directly for what he was before, before Ross told him what he was, you know, that would have been interesting to, to identify him as the Martian before the Martian said he was a Martian. Um, something i don't know i know i rewrite the episode sometimes but something there would have been a little bit more pulling the rug out from under you yeah uh, this episode just needed something yeah just a little bit something more um it needed something you know a little bit more thing in it a little more thing (laughs) a little bit more thing a little less serling comedy (laughs) Uh (laughs) yeah so yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, again, but never. It's a fun episode. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want it to seem like we're kind of just uh, railing on this episode because it's it's actually like it's a breezy watch. It's it's pretty fun. Yeah. Um. It's just it, it's just not that exciting. <laughs> I guess <laughs> no. is what it comes down to. For being a puzzle. I was yeah. expecting. I was expecting that whole paranoia trip that like the thing takes you on when it's introduced. Like I, w- I was really looking forward to that. Like everyone turning on each other, everyone trying to figure out who is who, and they they do it, but they do it so half-assed that it's just not exciting, <laughs> and it really doesn't create any sense of urgency for anyone. You got let's see, you got three eyes, three arms, and half an ass. That's probably about all. Oh, that's <laughs> that's the way to describe this episode. Yep. <laughs> no. I'll, I'll, but, get, no, I'll it, give it's it three, like three it's, stars it's a and fun half an episode. ass. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's that's all that's all I got for will the real real Martian please stand up. I'm not looking forward to typing that over and over again this week as I post pictures, but I'll do it for you guys when I tag all the photos. I um, just want to say we talked about shadow play being underrated in uh, Twilight Zone history. This episode is rated higher than shadow play. Uh, so yeah, that that's that's the thing that's upsetting. I I feel like people's memory of this twist are clouding them when well, they're going back and, and maybe shadow play maybe the further we go along here maybe that one will start poking up again because it's that's such a more modern abstract story that i feel like has a better place now than then you know and this being so straightforward ages doesn't age so well so maybe eventually it'll turn around yeah well it, it's not off by much but it's just I, I don't know i feel like I feel like that episode is infinitely better than this one. Yeah. Um, but what can you do? Certain episodes are iconic and sometimes they don't always live up to, uh, up to the hype. Right. So yeah, I think that's going to do it for, for this episode. Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. I actually just posted to the Instagram for the first time in a few weeks because <laughs> I'm terrible with remembering to do that. Uh, we're at Strange Highways Podcast. You can find us on there. Join the conversation. You can email us or leave us voicemails at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. And then we are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Satchel, Podcast Player, uh, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, search for Strange Highways. We are there. And uh, it would really help us out if you guys would go on there and throw us a five-star review. Yeah, that'd be great. So next week, it is the season two finale of the Twilight Zone. Oh, my God. Man. Paul, we've made it. We were there. (laughs) We're almost there. Uh, next week it is the obsolete man, which I think is actually me. I don't know. Cause I don't understand Instagram. So I think I am the obsolete man. Uh, so, all right, here's the teaser for this. Uh, Mr. Burgess Meredith is no stranger to the twilight zone, but his role in next week's story is a unique one. Even for him, the time will be the future, the place just about anywhere where men have taken over by a machine state. Our story is called the obsolete man. It may chill. It may provoke, but we're rather certain it will leave a mark next week on the twilight zone. The obsolete man. I didn't stumble through that one. I'm actually kind of happy with how that turned out. No, that, that was really good. Because I was um, smoking an Oasis cigarette, the softest taste of all, while I was doing that. <laughs> it's too bad they're not around. How amazing <laughs> would it be to get them to sponsor our show? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that that would be socially acceptable in 2018. <laughs> like, sure. I would take it. I would too. That'd be fine. I, like that or like, um, what was it? Uh, what were the, the lady cigarettes? Is it the cool cigarettes? Or what were the ones that were always the Virginia Slims? I oh, think yeah. <laughs> Is there we lady just cigarettes? Get like, can we just get like a fridge company to sponsor us? <laughs> yes. I that'd, think that would be the best. That'd be awesome, right? 
Um, so we yeah. can just do little skits after the episodes are over <laughs> yeah. of us uh, talking about our refrigerators and our cigarettes. You know what? We uh, should we should approach a vape company and see if we <laughs> could. <laughs> Uh, yeah, email in if you want us to do uh, terrible advertisements after this. We'll we'll start reaching out. Yeah, <laughs> we'll know. make them terrible. So yeah. companies, if you want terrible advertisements, let us know. <laughs> yeah, this is this is Kevin DePaul from Vape Escape. Just telling you, I don't know. I just I, every one of them has like a, a weird like they all have terrible names for all the vape. Yeah, like, we're a bunch of vapists here. <laughs> <laughs> we had a terrible store name yes so all right so yeah uh, so next week the obsolete man i believe we will have a guest i'm pretty sure that's a guarantee but we'll make sure we want to make sure that everything works in place for this because it's burgess meredith so we got to have that that wonderful uh, burgess meredith authority on the show and we'll, we'll make sure that he's here uh so, yeah so uh, uh, keep up on the facebook to see that announcement yeah uh, if you don't know who that is, <laughs> <laughs> if you have a, it just here's a clue: the other two Burgess Meredith episodes that we did, this person was on. So, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, that that should let you know. So, yeah, so that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, uh, next week, season two finale, which that's exciting, and um, I'm going to go uh, break some salt shakers for no reason. I, I don't know. I got nothing else. Yeah, drink, I'm going to go smoke some Oasis cigarettes. So. <laughs> See you guys next week. Drink drink 14 cups of coffee starting now. <laughs> Tell you the truth, I don't know who got on. She's just like a science fiction, that's what she is. A regular Ray Bradbury. Six humans and one monster from outer space. You wouldn't happen to have an eye in the back of your head, would you? <laughs> <laughs> I find you offensive, do you know that? <laughs>